Hello and welcome to CBS Radio Mystery Theater from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. The CBS Radio Mystery Theater presents... Of course, when all's been said and done, the definitive statement about life has already been made. It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Yes, that's true. But sometimes, some of us vanish away without warning, without cause, without reason or motive, leaving behind a mystery that seems too difficult to understand. Or is it too simple? How did you kill him? Why would I want to kill him? My dear lady, he spent all your money. He chased after other women. Do you need any other reasons? I didn't kill him, Sheriff. I didn't kill him. Then what happened to him? I told you. He just vanished into thin air. Oh, come now. You're an intelligent person. You can think of something better than that. mystery drama, If a Body, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Sam Dan and stars Fred Gwynn. Is truth stranger than fiction? Does art imitate life? Who can say for sure? Of one thing we are certain... Some of the deepest, most puzzling mysteries are not the ones that are spawned by a writer's imagination. For the truly inexplicable and insoluble consult the police records of any large or small city. For instance, the McKibben case. Clarence McKibben was murdered, or he was kidnapped, or did he simply disappear? Take your pick. On July the 4th, 1899. He was last seen by his wife on his farm some 20 miles from Detroit, Michigan. To this day, no one really knows what happened or why. It's a classic among unsolved mysteries. Follows now the report of the case as recorded by Sheriff Joseph T. Bolin. On the morning of July the 4th, 1899, 10 minutes before 10... Mrs. Mariah McKibben appeared at the door of her neighbor, Mr. Edmund Vale. He says she was distraught, excited, almost hysterical. Edmund! Edmund! Mariah, what's wrong? Edmund, it's it's Clarence. He's disappeared. He's gone. But he can't be gone. He's supposed to make the 4th of July address. My goodness, it's, it's less than an hour from now. Edmund, please, listen. Come with me. Where? You were Clarence's best friend. What do you mean, uh, I, I was his best friend? Because, oh, come with me. But Mariah... Edmund, don't ask me any questions. I ran all the way. I'm so scared. Of what? I don't know. Come with me. Please. The McKibben farm is some 300 yards from the Vale property. Edmund Vale says that he and Mrs. McKibben walked the distance very quickly. 
When they arrived at the farmyard, she pointed toward the open field. That's where Clarence disappeared. Oh, I, I, I don't understand, Mariah. Well, he, he was about to harness Obadiah to, to the buckboard, and, and suddenly he stopped. See, Obadiah's still standing there between the shafts. Mariah, please, I've tried to get a hold of you. I'm trying. I'm trying very hard. I'm trying to tell you exactly what happened. All right, all right. Now, Clarence just stopped what he was doing. And he started to walk away. Why? I don't know. But, well, did you ask him? Yes. Well, what did he say? Nothing. To leave for town. Then, without a word, without a single solitary word... He just started to walk out to the field. I called to him, Clarence, where are you going? But he paid me no mind. He just kept walking. And he was about 40, no more than 50 yards away when... When I... When what? When he was gone. Mariah. He disappeared. How could he disappear? Into thin air. Oh, Mariah, such a thing simply cannot happen. It can't. Uh, did you walk out to the spot where you think he disappeared? Oh, no. No, I couldn't. I'm scared. Well, just, just point out the place, then, as nearly as you can. Well, now, do you see that little bush all by itself? Yes. For maybe 15, 20 feet in front of it and about 5, 10 feet to the left. Yeah, and you're sure? I'm positive. Well, where are you going? Out there. No. Why not? We don't know what's out there. Well, we have to see. It's something awful. He just vanished. One second he was there, and the next second he just wasn't. I better go and see. Why? Do you want to disappear, too? Oh, come. Let's get the sheriff. Oh, look. Driving down the road. That's Perry Allen. He's got a telephone. Mr. Allen. Mr. Allen. <laughs> At five minutes after ten, Mr. Perry Allen reached me via the telephone. At 10.45, I arrived at the McKibben farm. I elicited from Mrs. Mariah McKibben the basic facts, the ones she had already imparted to Mr. Edmund Vale. You say you didn't personally walk out there to see what happened, Mrs. McKibben? Oh, no. Uh, did anyone else? No. Uh, no sense making a mystery out of this. There's simply got to be a rational explanation. Mrs. McKibben, I'm going to start walking. When I reach the spot where you say you last saw Clarence, just yell. There! There, Sheriff! Right there! Here? That's the place! The exact place! You're positive. <laughs> There's nothing here. Nothing at all. No hole in the ground. No soft places. Nothing's been disturbed. Nowhere he could have gone. I examined practically every inch of ground within a radius of 25 yards. There was no sign of Mr. Clarence McKibben or of what could have happened to him. Then... I questioned Mrs. McKibben further. Was your husband upset? Uh, disturbed? Clarence? Why? He was just back from the war. Got himself a medal. He was a hero. The whole town looked up to him. Uh -huh. Then there was nothing unusual about his conduct? No. 
But there's something unusual about yours, Sheriff. What are you trying to imply? Uh, did he have any enemies? No. And what if he did? Are you suggesting one of them could have murdered him or kidnapped him? How? There was no one here but Clarence and me. No one could have shot him, stabbed him, poisoned him, or taken him away. Why do you ask such ridiculous questions? These are the usual questions, Mrs. McKibben. But this isn't the usual situation. This is something absolutely and entirely different. Maybe it's supernatural. Supernatural? Or maybe some force, some power we simply can't understand made Clarence vanish. How else can you account for it? Uh, Mrs. McKibben, I'm going to account for it through solid, sensible, proved police work procedures. You say you were about to leave for town. Yes. What time was this? Oh, it was after nine o'clock. We'd finished breakfast and he went out to harness Obadiah. Then I heard him call me to come out. But I, I put on my hat and I stepped into the yard. Now, what time was that? Uh, exactly. Oh, at 9.30. You're positive. Uh, do you have a watch? Did you look at the clock? Oh, no, but... Will Cassidy happened to be walking down the road, and he called out, uh, You folks leaving for town so early? It can't be half past nine. Uh, what did Clarence do yesterday? He was home all morning. After dinner, about 1.30 in the afternoon, he drove into town. Why? Well, he said he had to go to the bank. For what reason? For what reason does anybody go to the bank? To take money out or to put money in? And which one was he going to do? I don't know. After all, he was the man of the house. On July 6th, at 11 a.m., I spoke with Mr. Harry K. Tattersall, president of the Farmers and Merchants Trust Company. Yes, Sheriff, we've got ourselves the makings of a first-class mystery here. Attracting attention from all over the state. The country as well. I'd like to ask you some questions, Mr. Tattersall. Yes? Uh, Mr. Tattersall, Clarence McKibben was in here the afternoon of July the 3rd, wasn't he? Uh, yes. Why? Well, he uh, came here to withdraw money. How much money? Uh, I wouldn't ask if it might not have a bearing on the investigation. Uh, $5,000. Uh, the day before he disappears, he draws 5000 from the bank. Did he say why? Uh, no, he did not. Did you ask him? Uh, Sheriff, I may have told you too much already. Uh, Mr. Tattersall, I respect your position. I know you're uncomfortable. But we may be dealing here with a murder. Murder? Or kidnapping. Or both. Or some other form of mayhem. Yeah, but uh, he, his wife says that he just vanished into thin air. And, uh, you believe it? Uh, off the record. Tell me what you know about Clarence McKibben. Well, he, uh, was a wild sort. I suppose it's the old story. If your name is Clarence, you grow up to be a sissy or a fighter. Well, he'd gone out west to fight the Indians. But that fighting was already over. So he came back and married, uh, Mariah Pearson. She wasn't all that much to look at, but she did have some money. I see. Yes, they'd been married for five years. And he'd gone through practically all of it. $20,000. 
Nothing was left, just the farm. And how did Mariah react to all this? Well, presumably, she didn't know about it till after Clarence left for the Spanish-American War, when she became the one to pay the bills. The day Clarence went away to the army, there was nine dollars in the account. Yes, yes. Funny. A war comes in handy for a lot of people. Gives him a chance to uh, get out from under. And that's why he enlisted? Well, he met this uh, Colonel Roosevelt from New York while he was out west. And when Roosevelt organized that volunteer cavalry outfit, the Clarence joined up. Now, getting back to Mariah McKibben. Left alone, she has to run the farm. She comes to the bank and discovers she's broke. How did she take it? Well, she wasn't happy. But what could she do about it? You say there was a balance of $9 the day Clarence McKibben left for the war. Now, just three days ago, he withdrew 5000 Where did that money come from? I don't know. He brought it back with him. A man who returns from the war with $5,000? He served for less than a year on second lieutenant's pay. Could he have saved that much? What do they make? Fifty a month? Here or thereabouts. And he didn't have the reputation of a thrifty man. Uh, did you ask him where and how he got the money? Yes. And what did he answer? He just winked. Uh-huh. And now that money has disappeared with him. Or did it? Would Mrs. McKibben know about that 5000 Well, you'd have to ask her, Sheriff. Yes, I would. I believe I have a whole new crop of questions to put to Mrs. Mariah McKibben. And we can probably guess at some of the most pointed ones, too. But right now, we shall take a short intermission. Don't worry. After all, this case has remained unsolved for over 80 years. It'll still be here when I return shortly with Act Two. Lieutenant Clarence McKibben made a slight stir in the year 1898 when, as a member of the Rough Rider Cavalry Regiment, he followed Colonel Teddy Roosevelt up San Juan Hill. The following year, as a civilian, he made an even greater stir when he disappeared suddenly and without a trace. Since 1899, there have been many explanations, but no solutions. This is the report of Sheriff Joseph T. Bolin. On July 7th, at 9 a.m., I arrived at the McKibben farm for another interview with Mariah. You didn't tell me that relations between your husband and yourself were strained, Mrs. McKibben. Who says they were? Uh, he went through all of your money, didn't he? Who told you? It's uh, true, isn't it? Um, what if it is? It uh, places another aspect on this case. Just what are you implying? Did you resent the fact that he squandered your money? What? What would that have to do with anything? It uh, gives you a motive. To do what? Murder him. <gasps> squandered money, spilt milk. What's the use crying over it? Maybe a lot of it wasn't his fault. We did have that panic in 93. Oh, why do I make excuses? He threw it away. 
And I'm sure a great deal of it even went for women. But what's to be done? It's gone. There was a chance to get some of it back. Five thousand dollars. Five thousand dollars? You asked him for it. He said no. And so you decided to kill him. But I didn't kill him. What did you do with the five thousand dollars? What? $5,000. The 5000 he withdrew from the bank the day before. He couldn't withdraw 5000 from the bank. Why not? Because we don't even have $50 in our name. Mr. Tattersall says he did make that withdrawal. But where would Clarence have gotten $5,000? The fact is, he did get it. And that's why you killed him. No. How did you kill him? I didn't. What did you do with the body? I didn't kill him. couldn't move her. That night, there was a new turn of events. A Mr. Kenneth Arnold and his son, Arthur, were walking home from town. As they passed the McKibben house, they heard her screaming for help. They rushed inside and found her being attacked by a man. They subdued him and brought him to the jail. 9 p.m., July 7th. What's your name? Frank Fluitt. We've got you, Fluitt. Breaking and entering. I don't know if we can prove robbery, but we can put you away for attempted rape. Sheriff, give me a chance. Why? I'm a war veteran. That doesn't give you the right to break into houses and attack women. Well, I wasn't trying to attack her. That is not that way. No? I knew Clarence McKibben in the Army. We was friends. Yes? He told me he had this, this fantastic proposition, and I believed him. I invested every cent I had in the world. Five thousand dollars. That was eight months ago. Hadn't heard from him since. Yeah, and? Well, I, I'd run into some other guys from the outfit. He'd taken them, too. And then I realized what kind of a person he was. I decided he wasn't going to get away with it. I made up my mind to get it back. And so you killed him. No! No, I'll, I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you exactly what happened. I got into town a few hours ago. I found out where his house was. And I just walked up to the front door. I wasn't going to make any bones about it. Yes? Is Clarence McKibben at home? No. Where is he? Who are you? An old friend of his, Frank Fluitt. Mr. Fluitt, I don't know what to tell you. Clarence seems to have disappeared. Yeah, I'll bet he did. I'll just step inside. But, but he isn't home. Clarence? Come on down here. I'm wise to you. I want my money. But Clarence is gone. Where? I told you I don't know. Where's the money? What money? Where did he hide the money? Oh, please. Now, you're his wife. You're in on it with him. I don't know about any money. Look, I'm going to get my money. Don't let go of me. Money. Oh, help, help. I guess I, I just lost my head. And the next thing I knew, some, some men came into the house and one of them knocked me out. Uh, that's your story. It's the truth. Of course, there could be another story. You killed him, but he didn't have the money on him. So later on, you went back to the house to find it, and uh, she surprised you. Oh, please believe me, Sheriff. you got to believe me. 
is a suspect, and a good one. But if he did kill Clarence McKibben, what did he do with the body? And how could he have done it without Mariah McKibben's knowledge? Unless, unless they were both in on it. On the following day, July 8th, at 11.30 p.m., a woman asked to see me. Oh, uh, my name is Juanita Vale, Mrs. Edmund Vale. Yes, ma'am. I've been visiting relatives in the East, and I've come back to inquire why neither that McKibben's trumpet nor my dearly beloved husband has been charged with murder. Uh, why should we charge them? Well, the McKibben slut and my dearly beloved husband have been committing adultery for the past five years. Uh, that by itself doesn't prove that they conspired together to murder Clarence McKibben. Uh, we still have no proof. A proof? All you need is to look at them while they're together. Uh, see the exchange of lascivious glances? Well, you can feel the depravity in the air. Um, I'm talking about legal proof, Mrs. Vale. They had to kill him. Why? Because Clarence McKibben refused to give her a divorce. Uh, I see. Um, thank you, Mrs. Vale. In other words, I'm being dismissed. Uh, no, 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 no. You, you've been very helpful. And that was the truth. Because she had just brought everything into perspective. July 8th, 2.30 p.m. I questioned Mr. Edmund Vale again. Sir, according to the record... You say that at 10 minutes to 10 a.m., Mrs. McKibben knocked on your door. Yes. And you said she was hysterical. Uh, she seemed to be. She told you that her husband seemed to have disappeared under very mysterious circumstances. Uh, yes, yes. And you went back to the McKibben farm with her. I, I did. So then, at 10 of 10, she tells you her story. You listen, you decide to go back there with her. It's a short walk to the place. So you arrive at 8 uh, or even 7 minutes before 10. Uh, certainly before 5 of. Oh, I, I, yeah, that's true, I suppose. Then what happened? Well, I told you she, uh, <clears throat> she was hysterical and we just stood there. I, I wanted to go out into the field to look for Clarence. And uh, why didn't you? Well, I was afraid to leave her. Let's say you return to the scene at 5 of 10. How long did you stand there? Oh, it could have been uh, five minutes. Mm -hmm. The two of you were alone? Uh, yes. And then we noticed Perry Allen uh, coming down the road on his horse. Uh, we told him to telephone you. Uh, that must have been 10 o'clock. Well, a few minutes later, the Easterlies drove by and the Andersons and Soames. And by this time, a whole crowd had gathered. Then... That means we have one half hour of critical time to consider. At 9.30, Will Cassidy saw Clarence and Mariah McKibben standing in the farmyard. At 10 o'clock, Perry Allen saw you and Mrs. McKibben standing in the farmyard, and Clarence McKibben was gone. So, what happened during that half hour? Well, I can only account for the last ten minutes of it. Are you sure? <laughs> only you and Mariah McKibben between you know the full story of that half hour. The two of you. 
alone and separately, are the only witnesses we have for that time period. Well, yes. Isn't it a fact that you and Mariah McKibben are in love with each other? A fact? Do you deny it? I'm in love with her, yes, yes. And is she in love with you? Yes. And therefore, do the two of you decide to murder Clarence McKibben? No. But you admit you're in love? Yes. And wasn't Clarence McKibben in the way? Sure. Sure, he, he was in the way, but, but uh, we wouldn't kill him. No. Dick, take the key to number six and bring that fellow Frank Fluid in here. And then uh, harness the team. July 8th, 5 p.m. Deputies Robottom, Schmidt, myself, Edmund Vale, and Frank Fluid drove out to the McKibben farmhouse. Now, Mrs. McKibben, you recognize this man here? Oh, well, well, he's the one who, who tried to do... You do... Don't worry about anything, Mrs. McKibben. You're perfectly safe uh, from him, anyhow. Oh. Uh, Mrs. McKibben, you claim last night was the first time you ever saw him? Yes, sir. I do. And uh, you, Mr. Vale, did you ever see this man, Frank Fluitt, before? No, never. And uh, you, Mr. Fluitt... When was the first time you met Mrs. McKibben and Mr. Vale here? I saw Mrs. McKibben for the first time in my life last night and Mr. Vale today. Here we have Mr. Vale and Mrs. McKibben. Each of you has a motive to murder Clarence McKibben. But neither of you can bring yourself to actually do it. But here comes Mr. Frank Fluitt. He's looking for Clarence McKibben. You won't rope me into this. Rope? <laughs> Not a bad word. <clears throat> if you want to escape it, you'd better think about cooperating with us. But I didn't do anything. Mr. Fluitt wants his $5,000. He confronts Mr. McKibben. Clarence turns him down. You, Mrs. McKibben, probably witness the scene. You see a potential ally. Sheriff! So, you and Mr. Vale tell Mr. Fluitt that the way to get his money is to dispose of Mr. McKibben. I never told anyone any such thing. Finally, at 9.30, the morning of July 4th, the coast was clear. Mr. Clarence McKibben was harnessing his horse to the buckboard, and Mr. Fluitt surprised and killed him. No, I didn't. But there was a hitch. Either you, Mrs. McKibben, had decided to keep the money for yourself, or... Perhaps you couldn't find it. Maybe Mr. McKibben had hidden it too well. Therefore, you had to make some excuse to Mr. Fluitt. You told him he had to wait. That's why you came back a few nights later. Wasn't it, Mr. Fluitt? You weren't going to be swindled out of that $5,000 twice. I didn't kill nobody. I don't know anything about that $5,000. Mariah McKibben, Edmund Vale, Frank Fluitt. You are under arrest for the murder of Clarence McKibben. And anything you say can be used against you. You're under arrest for murder. And anything you say can be used against you. These may not be the saddest words of tongue or pen, but they're probably the most frightening. 
Sheriff Joseph T. Bolan seems quite sure of himself. Do you think he has a case? Go ahead. You're qualified to voice an opinion. After all, you've been exposed to all the evidence there is. Well, we'll check it out in Act Three. When you're puzzled by the actions or the motivations of human beings, remember, you can usually solve the problem by looking at it from the perspective of either love or money, or both. The desire for love, the lust for money, can account for anything and everything. But does either one explain what happened to Clarence McKibben on the morning of July 4th, 1899? Sheriff Joseph T. Bolin is convinced of it. July 8th, 7 p.m. I have just booked Mariah McKibben, Edmund Vale, and Frank Fluid for the murder of Clarence McKibben. I thought the Commonwealth attorney would buy me a cigar. <laughs> Turns out he's not very happy about it. I uh, don't think we have a case, Sheriff. I need a body. I need Clarence McKibben's dead body. I need the corpus delecti. I'll find it. Yes, well, you haven't found it so far. Well, it has to exist. Does it? We are rational human beings. A man just doesn't dematerialize. Well, then why haven't you found him? Uh, uh, because the two of them, or, or the three of them, were able to hide the body. Uh, well, what makes you think you can ever find it? Because they simply can't hide it where it can't be found. If we search diligently enough. Understand, they only had a half hour in which to kill him and dispose of his body. Now, you can kill a man in a split second, but you can't get rid of him without leaving a trace. Yeah. Bury him? Where? The earth always gives a clue. Well, there are many ways of getting rid of a body, Sheriff. Sure, but they all need time and a place in which to work. We need that body. We'll find it. How? Uh, let's consider the farmyard. 9.30, the morning of July 4th. Mariah and Clarence, ready to leave for town. They are seen by Perry Allen. Perry Allen leaves. Now is the moment. So Mariah kills him. Or, or Edmund Dale kills him. Or Frank Fluid kills him. Hey, how? What's the difference? Hit him over the head, stab him. Uh, maybe she poisoned him at the breakfast table. But he's dead. Now... What do they do with the body? They have to take it somewhere. Carry it somewhere. Physically dispose of it somewhere. We really haven't subjected the place to the search it deserves. We've got to tear up the cellars of both the McKibben and the Vale houses. And then we have to check every foot of ground within a radius of about five miles. All right, all right, Sheriff, all right. But remember, if you want to get a conviction... You have to get me the body. July 9th, 11.30 a.m. I have just unleashed, uh, I guess that's the word, the most intensive search in the history of the county. Within a five-mile radius of the McKibben household, not so much as a single blade of grass remains unturned. And there is absolutely no sign of anything at all. No sign of a body, or any part of a body, or 
of any activity that might be involved in disposing of a body. Is it possible that Clarence McKibben did indeed simply vanish into the air? <laughs> I, I refuse to believe it. And yet, after three solid, intensive days, what can I believe? Then, I received some information from the War Department. It helps me see the case more clearly. July 12, 8 a.m. I talked to Frank Fluitt in his cell. I keep telling you, Sheriff, I had nothing to do with any murder. I'll make a deal with you. Yeah? You're the one who's really stuck. Even if we can't make the murder charges stand up against the three of you, we still have you for attempted rape. But I wasn't trying to... trying to do anything like that. The charge is open and shut. There were witnesses. But... What's the use? Who's going to believe me? Nobody. Especially with your record. What do you mean, my record? <laughs> you did a few years for assault and robbery in 1889. I was framed. Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, well, right. I was a stupid kid. I didn't know anything. In the past ten years, you didn't learn anything either. You have a dishonorable discharge from the Army. Who told you that? Oh, all right. Sheriff... You've got to give me a break. Tell us how McKibben was murdered. I don't know how he was murdered. I can only tell you that you have to give if you want to get. But I don't know how. Where did you hide the body? I don't know. Look, I don't know because I wasn't in on it. I mean, not in on that part of it. Oh, go ahead. Don't stop now. Well... They said to me, we'll get you your 5000 back, provided you help us. Help you do what, I asked? Help us kill him. So that's what I did. I helped him. Clarence was getting a horse harnessed. And this Edmund Vale came up and said hello, and, and then Vale hit him with a hammer. But not hard enough. This McKibben, he was pretty strong. And, and they yelled to me to help him. And, and, and did you? Well, I said to McKibben, I'll save you from these two if you hand me my money. And he, he swore he didn't have it, that he'd given it to his wife. And she yelled that, that he was lying. Well, I had to believe one of them. So, so I decided to believe her. And I, I helped them kill him. It didn't take more than a minute. Mm. Then what happened? Well, they said to me, you, you better go inside and hide in the house. We'll take care of the body. And you did it? Yeah. I, I didn't want to know anything about the rest of it. Uh, you can't tell me what they did with the body? No, Sheriff. I, I can't. But you are prepared to testify that you and Edmund Vale murdered Clarence McKibben and that Mariah McKibben was a conspirator to that homicide? Yes, sir. They'll throw it out of course. What? And they should. Now, what have you got anyhow, huh? I've got the sworn statement of one of the perpetrators. You have got the most obvious piece of perjury I've heard in 20 years at the bar. Why is it perjury? Because he's clearly making a deal for himself. Prisoners make deals all the time. Oh, but nothing as blatant as this one. Oh, no, you, you can't get away with it. 
What do you mean I can't get away with it? Uh, why are you making it something personal? Now, from the very beginning, you were out to hang Mariah McKibben for this. Now, why? What is this vendetta? She's lying. Can't you see it? I can't take it into court. Why not? How many times do we have to go through this? There is nobody, no corpus delecti. Now, I am not going into that courtroom to make a fool of myself. <laughs> so, now we get down to the meat of it. You're afraid you'll lose the case. Oh, that isn't true. You're thinking about your record, your reputation. Sure. You'll want to run for governor next year. That has nothing to do with it. Oh, this case has attracted publicity from all over the country. It'll be covered by the national newspapers. And you can't afford to be the loser. All right. If that's how things are done around here, you can have my job. Here's my star. I quit. July 12th, 11 a.m. This is the last notation I intend to make in the case of Clarence McKibben. I am no longer sheriff of this county. I am convinced that Mariah McKibben, Edmund Vale, and Frank Fluitt are guilty. But I am the only one. I am keeping a copy of this report for my personal records. Morning, Sheriff. Uh, may I come in? Good morning, Mr. Tattersall. I'm cleaning out my desk and things. I agreed to stay to the end of the month. Yeah, I've never seen Main Street so crowded. Uh, both hotels jam-packed. <laughs> Can't get a room anywhere for miles around. Restaurants, why, must be like it is up in the Klondike where they struck gold. What's on your mind, Mr. Tattersall? Uh, reconsider your resignation. Why? Because you're a good sheriff. The best we've ever had. I'm being blocked. Deliberately. A case should probably get thrown out of court. They're obviously guilty. But nothing is ever 100% certain. You have to go to trial with what you believe in. Uh, let's go back to the crowds all over town. Do you realize what McKibben's disappearance is doing for business? I can imagine. How did he disappear? Uh, they hid the body. <clears throat> what can be hidden can also be found. Why haven't you found it? Maybe they didn't hide it. Maybe they didn't kill him. You know, right around the McKibben farm was the medicine ground of the old Chippewa tribe. Now, there are those who believe that the spirits of the ancient Chippewa medicine men spirited him away. <laughs> That's nonsense. Well, I think it's dangerous to characterize other people's beliefs as nonsense. There are scientists, physical scientists, who believe that another world coexists with ours, and that if you step into an opening between them, you can be swept away. Do you believe in, in this, this... You're going to say nonsense, aren't you? Well, at any rate, all sorts of people have come here to see the spot. They will continue to do so. And uh, 
That will be good for business. It's a bonus. Hmm. On the other hand, if Mariah McKibben and her two accomplices are found guilty of murder, that removes the mystery and we go back to being a sleepy village. Which is why we don't want a trial. Well, now, you are free to hold that opinion, Sheriff. I say they murdered him. What did they do with the body? I don't know. Then isn't that also as mysterious as any of the other interpretations? One way or another, he simply vanished into thin air. Sheriff, we don't want to lose a man like you. Uh, Mr. Tattersall, I want your word, and the word of honor of every leading citizen in this town, that if I ever find that body, we go to court, regardless of how it will affect business. If you can find that body, Sheriff, we'll have no choice. I'm going to find the body of Clarence McKibben. I'll keep looking till the day I die. And he did. Sheriff Joseph T. Boland died in 1925, and he hadn't found it. No one ever found it. The other principals... Frank Fluitt served several years for assault and disappeared from view. In 1904, Juanita Vale died, and everyone thought Mariah and Edmund Vale would get married. But Mariah married James Tattersall, the banker. It was a very long time ago, and all of them are dead and forgotten. But I won't forget you. I'll be back in just a few minutes. It's a mystery. If they killed him, how did they dispose of the body? If they didn't, who or what made him disappear? Given the time, the place, the opportunity, there is absolutely no way they could have gotten rid of him without a trace. Unless they knew some secret method, which seems impossible. On the other hand, the only other answer seems impossible too. But that's life, isn't it? Aren't we always being challenged to choose from among the impossible, the imponderable, and the unthinkable? Our cast included Fred Gwynn, Bryna Rayburn, Earl Hammond, and Ray Owens. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams.